This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the New Books Network. It's the Yukon Podcast. I'm Professor Stephen Dyson. And I'm Professor Jeff Dudas. And Jeff, today we are going to talk about, I guess, a world that could have been... We're going to talk about the um, Apple Plus TV yeah. series For All Mankind. Yes. So For All Mankind is an um, alternate history TV mm-hmm. series where the Soviets reached the moon first and yep. you think, oh no, a big disaster. Yep. But in actual fact, the premise of the series is that this is a, a sort of good thing that happens. Yeah, well, that it has good good elements to it anyway. Yeah, it has, it has good ramifications yeah. throughout yeah. throughout history. Very, very interesting series sort of um, intellectually. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very interesting premise yeah uh, i think i thought what we would do jeff in this podcast is we would first of all talk about the um first episode of season four yeah which we just watched yep. so in some sense kind of react to yep. season four episode one um, and th- we would then talk about the rest of the show it's a show we've been talking about and thinking about for mm-hmm. a, for a while so does that sound like a plan yeah let's do it all right good so in the spirit of openness I thought we would talk about season four, episode one, Glasnost. <laughs> yes. Do you see what I did there? Yeah, very clever. Yep. So Glasnost, of course, was the um, is the a Russian word kind of meaning openness yeah. in in some vague sense, yeah. most closely associated with the politics of Gorbachev, Mikhail Gorbachev. Yeah. And this episode uh, takes us into, in part, a, a Soviet Union where Glasnost and Perestroika. Um, the kind of political opening and the economic restructuring mm-hmm. has worked yeah. in contrast to in our world. And in, that's right. That's right. And but we do get hints of discontent, right, within the, the Russian economy still. Right. There is the kind of sense that instead of being taken over by oligarchs and mobsters, that the Russian economy has sort of stratified in a way that has perhaps betrayed the promises of the communist paradise. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I mean, I, I was really interested going into this season to see more of um, the Soviet Union. I think that had been not fully yeah. explored in the previous seasons. It's a very very interesting premise to have um, not to have the Soviet Union persist for longer than it did in our mm-hmm. world, largely as a result of the uh, you know ramifications of not just the success on the moon, but but the things that that led yeah. to. You know, the Soviet Union, of course, in this world. Um, doesn't invade Afghanistan. Right. There's no Chernobyl disaster because yeah. of nuclear technological yeah. advancements caused by the space race. Um, and uh, economic and political restructuring seems to work. So there's a, I think we've been told this actually in the last se- series and it's hammered home again in, in this one last season that the the Soviet economy is kind of red hot. Yeah. So it's really interesting yeah. to, to take what you might imagine is a negative, right? The evil Soviet mm-hmm. Union persists for longer and try and spin it as the series is into a, a sort of better world and a, a positive. Right, right. And there also seems to be some hint that you don't have the kind of arms race buildup, that the arms race buildup seems to be instead focused at the level of the space race, which produces these series of sort of technological and ecological innovations that have a more positive impact on the Soviet economy, right? Which presumably has something to do with the differences between the show's Soviet Union and the real Soviet Union. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, 
uh, in the United States in in season four, episode one. Um, you know, it be it being the first season, the first sorry episode of the new season, yeah. we get the classic for all mankind sort of what would you call it like news dump news yeah. news recaps yeah. in which you find the out real. Yeah, a bunch yeah. of stuff that takes you from the end of the last season, mm-hmm. which was sort of what the mid nineties, ninety four, ninety five. Was it really? Yes. And into where are we now? Like two thousand and three. Okay, so, so the almost... newsreel covers ninety six to two thousand and one. Right. Yeah. Okay, so we get um, Ellen Wilson is reelected yes. as president in nineteen ninety six with George H W as with, her vice president. With George H W Bush. Yeah. Very very interesting point. I mean, I think a recurrent thing we'll talk about with this show is. It, it 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 trying to kind of toe the line between a sort of very progressive utopia mm-hmm. and something that is really a celebration of the status quo of the status quo and of the the icons of moderation exactly so that's mm-hmm. that's where I was going with that that it's very mm-hmm. interesting you have this sort of for the time relatively revolutionary figure of of Ellen Wilson, yeah. right? The first uh, female president, the first openly gay uh, president, um, but she's made into a she's moderate progressive Republican. in identity, but not in politics. Exactly, and her running mate is, mm-hmm. you know, can, can it really be a transformed world or a utopian world if George H. W. Bush, mm-hmm. who is, you know, a perfectly decent human being and man yeah. and all the rest of it, but nonetheless, a <laughs> entirely, you know, mainstream, right. um, conservative figure. You know, th- these are not the wild transformations that you often find in um, the science fiction yeah. or in or in alternate histories. Right. They're, they're, they're quite close to what actually happened. Yeah. So that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, she she defeats, or she and he defeat Jerry Brown, the California mm-hmm. governor, because of course Clinton... Who's pitched as a, uh, uh, you know, as a radical. Yes, <laughs> uh-huh. exactly. So this is really a pie into um, to moderation, yeah. I yeah. think. Um, uh, Clinton, of course, is Bill Clinton is out of the picture in, in the real history. He wins in '96. Yeah, he never wins in '92. Right. Um, la- largely because his kind of uh, focus domestically at home in the '92 campaign becomes contrasted in this alternate reality with Ellen Wilson's kind of reach for the stars. Right. You know, which is interesting because Clinton was a let's stay at home and focus on America yep. type, and that's what won him the election in '92. Mm-hmm. But it was contrasted to George H. W. Yep. Bush's. Perceived, you know, over involvement in international right. affairs. Exactly, and, and and Bush's strength in international affairs. Right. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, one of the ramifications of this is Hillary and Bill divorce. Yeah. Which is super interesting in if you like alternate history, because I don't know if uh, you've read this book. I know we've never talked about it, but there's a novel by Curtis Sittenfeld that's called Rodham which imagines an alternate mm-hmm. history in which Hillary meets and falls in love with Bill Clinton, but do- doesn't marry him or, or, or gets divorced from him quite early in their, their professional lives. And it is Hillary that who goes on to be the kind of towering uh, national figure, freed from the the kind of anchor weird of Bill. Yeah. No, I have not read it. Yeah, so, so it's a super interesting alternate uh, history thing that I wonder if they're playing with. I wonder if we might see Hillary reemerge at some point in this story. It's, it's worth... It's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, I mean, she's not going to become president because they would have to. They would have to do the kind of um, AI thing with her, <laughs> with her voice moving over which, all. The- which they did do at least in one of the newsreels without with Gore. Gore. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was pretty noticeable. Yeah, like it that. was. It didn't, yeah. didn't quite work. Yeah. Uh, Ellen Wilson legalizes same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan hits a three-run home run for the Seattle Mariners, winning them the World Series. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Now we've gotten off the rails. I know the Seattle Mariners. Yeah. 
<laughs> Jerry Depoto is furious, saying we only aim to win 54% of the games and we overshot. That is an inside uh, joke for Seattle Mariners baseball fans. <laughs> but but I looked at this. Michael Jordan apparently did have a was a two way player. You oh, know, yeah, could for have sure. But but that I mean. It's unbelievable for two reasons. And I actually didn't mean that it was unbelievable for the Mariners angle. I, I meant that it was unbelievable for Jordan because Jordan played a year. I believe it was in 90, 96. Like in the minor leagues, in, right? Yeah, he played at the AA Birmingham Barons, which was the AA affiliate for the Chicago White Sox. And on one hand, it was impressive that you could go from nothing to AA baseball. On the other hand, he did not do well. Yes. Um, and so... It's kind of looked upon as a bit of a joke, right. right? By sort of baseball insiders. But I wonder if in this world he never he he just devoted himself to baseball for his whole career and, yeah, maybe. and turned that tremendous athleticism. Yeah, you know Could who be. knows? Yeah. Um, there is a Hilton on the moon. It's very redolent of two thousand and one, a space odyssey. Not the f- first time that this show has uh-huh. um, has made that uh-huh. that kind of illusion. Um, Clint DeVos, we talked about that. Yeah. Nineteen ninety nine, Harvey Weinstein charged with mm-hmm. sexual assault. Yep. Very, very interesting and plays into what I think is a a broader theme of the show, which is a, I know we're going to argue about this mm-hmm. later, um, so so put a pin in this, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a, what I have characterized as a more thoroughgoing version of the feminist revolution of the, mm. you know, what, 60s, 70s and, and beyond in the United States, it, it, in that it moves faster and reaches deeper. And so one would imagine that Me Too... It, it, it is it happens, happens 25 years yeah. you know ahead of the time that it does which means that all the not only Harvey Weinstein but you'd assume many of the horrible behaviors um j- just don't happen or happen yeah. to a lesser extent or I mean anyway very very interesting uh Dev the um uh, Helios. CEO of Helios yeah. founds a new robotics company very very interesting this was in the this was in the the headlines i can see jeff i i paused uh, and, and read the newspaper articles and I, you, you're looking shocked by lots of these revelations i, wa- I watched them i know all. you watched it <laughs> but, but i kind of paused and, and zoomed in i'm just that, that kind of guy i think that is interesting because um one thing that has been missing from this version of a higher technology world mm-hmm. has been any real allusion to ai yeah which is so prevalent yeah. you know in in our world mm-hmm. and i think they're they're really just catching up now to we really need to write this into the story because there's also now what what you but did it's also super prevalent in other types of stories that are speculative yeah you know and that lean into science fiction right i mean the the appearance of droids and robots is has been pride of place in the star wars universe yeah. for 40 years yeah, at yeah. this point, 50 yeah. years. At this point. Absolutely. So prevalent in speculative fiction, yeah. but, I, but I meant in, in terms of For All Mankind, yeah. they, they've shown... It hasn't appeared, you're right. And it's been a slightly uneven technological trajectory, yeah. which which they always are. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. a critique, but to make all those breakthroughs in fusion, yeah. which which we've not been able to do, right? and to, and to be apparently so much less concerned or, or even less advanced in terms of, of AI. Yeah. Is interesting, and I think they might try and backfill that this yeah. season. What was when the other headline was AI beats Kasparov at chess in 1997? Is that the real history, or is that, maybe we should have googled this? Yes, the real history is 1997. Yes. Well, is I the don't right know year. if the year is exactly right, okay. but the 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 era is definitely correct. Right? Yeah, I think if, so. Too. I actually think I want to think that maybe it was a little earlier. That yeah, the, maybe the supercomputer computer beat Kasparov. It would be interesting yeah. if if a technological advancement led to a slower development yeah. of AI. That yeah. would actually be an interesting yeah. kind of plot point. 
Um, Al Gore beats George W. Bush mm-hmm. Sr. to become president mm-hmm. in 2000 and does not lose to George uh, George W. Bush. About whom we know nothing. About whom we know nothing. Yeah. And one, one presumes he is the, the, the you know, uh, somewhat ebullient son of the... <laughs> right. Of, of George Bush Sr. Yeah. Um, Ellen marries Pam, and I presume Ellen is gone now. Uh, you know, maybe... she, I, My understanding is she has been written out of the show. Yeah. Glasnost and Perestroika. I was going to attempt a Russian accent there, and I thought, thought better of it halfway through yeah. the pronunciation of the word. Glasnost and Perestroika are giant successes. Moscow becomes the Paris mm-hmm. of the East, mm-hmm. leading us to think that um, it, it's not only a, a, a... Well, it's going to be interesting to see what is the trajectory of economic success versus social and political... Yeah liberalization mm-hmm. you know because they they still seem to be painting russia or sorry the soviet union as largely a brezhnevite authoritarian state it, it's it's odd there's a real disjuncture in between the scenes that we see of margot madison now in exile yeah in i presume in moscow and the presentation of moscow as this kind of hub of culture yeah and high society but it also it, looks, it doesn't look that way i mean that's no, what this saying. is my point right yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean it looks drab and Horrible. old and and uh you know and it looks like the 1960s she's in ill ill health she's has hobbling around she seems to have aged and... an incredible amount yeah in the course of eight years yeah exactly uh-huh. exactly um yes okay what else have i got here uh gar uh tonight i can proudly say that the cold war is over so the cold war ends early 2000s which is like 10 years later later right right but but one presumes that what's happened in the show is that the the sort of broad. I, th- I one yeah. not only presumes we are told. I think what happens in the show is the broad trajectory of Gorbachev, Reagan, rapprochement. Right. Continues and and is focused on space cooperation. Yes. Throughout the nineties. Yeah. So so I presume. And it would that be- really happens in the third season when the the two right they, the the show begins with these three competing attempts. Well, it's actually four competing. Yes. Attempts, so you can count the North Koreans. So it's three competing. Which no one attempts knows about to make it to the Mars first. Right. And then what ends up happening, of course, is that the the NASA and the Soyuz crews end up basically combining with one another because yes. of an accident in space. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so space has been the, the crucible the, that has forged right. um, cooperation yeah. uh, and the relations on Earth, although a Cold War had persisted, it was largely mm-hmm. because no one had called an end to it. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it ended, which was a totally plausible trajectory in our world um, with with a stronger Soviet Union, Yeah, right? Like a- absent Glashnost and Perestroika, absent, or absent Gorbachev's attempts to revolve the Soviet states, it would have persisted for another couple of generations. One would but, yeah, there was yeah. there was no immediate need for it to, right. to collapse. So um so there's that. Uh we meet our we start meeting our characters again. Mm-hmm. Ed is Ed is the exo of um Happy Valley, which is now a, a much expanded Mars settlement. Yep. You know, mer- mirroring the plot trajectory I think of Shackleton Base in season from two. season yeah, from season one yep. to season two. Yep. Um uh the the technology is now it's all about mining now. Yeah. It's all about it, resource extraction now. Good point. Yeah. Which, is, which is very interesting because it, it is, is this a progressive show? In mm-hmm. one sense, that's a very progressive idea because ideas of humanity existing out amongst the stars and, and kind of conquering yeah. the, mm-hmm. you know, our, our neighborhood all rest upon things like that, right? That you can extract resources from yeah. space to make, both to bring back to Earth to make it economically viable, but also to make it viable to exist yeah. in these settlements. Yeah, and it's sort of the colonizer's dream because yes. you're you're going into this land that is full of resources and no other beings right. or people that you have to deal with, mm-hmm. right? And so 
this is the this is that European colonizer's dream of the of the 1500s that we're going to find a place that is completely open. And while they insisted in real life that those spaces were open and uninhabited, it turns out that in the show they actually are yes. open and uninhabited. Yeah. Although there was an illusion, Karen Baldwin, not Karen, um, Kelly, the daughter, uh-huh. made in the last season that was that was very interesting, where she said. Um, I think Ed, Ed, they'd found water and Ed wanted to just like drill into it immediately. And mm-hmm. she said, well, we haven't properly studied it yet yeah. to see if there's even like microscopic right. elements of life, which was which was an interesting kind of yeah. pushback against the colonizing. And I do wonder impulse. if that's going to be something that comes up this season. Yeah, I wonder. Point, I wonder. Right? The, the discovery of some form of organic life. Yeah, which which would be super interesting. Right. Um, and, and I think it's interesting again for the ideology of the show. You know, mm-hmm. is is this a... A progressive show that is that is showing us the building of a fundamentally different society, or is it just showing us the persistence of a society with all the flaws that we know our society has yep. that just happens to have been a bit luckier or gone or or, or had some lucky breaks right. in terms of technological right. development? Yeah, and it's you know I've been thinking about this a little bit. I mean, it, this is an alternate history genre, of course, and um, you know, to me, the sort of the the analog here is the Back to the Future. Movies, that's interesting which are it's the same kind of sliding doors moment right like yeah. you know our character main character marty mcfly goes back in time and he punches out biff and he changes his whole life and rewrites his yeah. whole life but that that series plays the the changed realities the alternate futures on a small scale yeah and for all mankind is trying to play it on a on a large scale um but it's the same kind of incremental changes. It's not like in this world is still very recognizable, right? And so the changes seem to be subtle, 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 and then after thirty years, they're huge, right? Which is how change is sort how of works. happens, right? Yeah. And as, as you live it, as you how live history it, develops, yeah. yeah. And as you live it in the in the dramatic register, or mm-hmm. as the characters live it in the dramatic register, it's going to look quite yeah. sort of incremental. But when you can when you zoom back, right. or, or zoom forward, as they do in the show each mm-hmm. decade, you know you're you're like, wow, that was actually yeah. quite significant. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you so so yes, it's all about resource extraction. They're capturing asteroids in space. Yeah. They're shipping off miners to. Um, yeah. Well, they're, they're already on the moon. There's a reality mm-hmm. series about them, reality TV series, right. Moon Miners. Right. And the new thing is to ship them off to Mars. Yeah. A technology that's made possible by by the devless Helios having developed a sort of fusion drive yeah. thing that yeah. lets you. Um, I couldn't tell if it's you, you travel faster necessarily. Yes, it is. You tra- you simply you go tra- faster. You travel much faster. And you and you can yes. therefore kind of get there outside of the celestial alignment yep. of the, and the it's planet. A, it's a thirty-one day, I believe, journey now instead of you know having to hit the window, and then I think it was four months. Still yeah, after exactly, that. exactly. It's a super interesting. Kind but the of- other thing that's happening here that's that is also a throwback to actual imperialistic and colonialistic relationships that we know of are these kinds of weird relationships that are developing between officially sanctioned governmental actors and behaviors and these kinds of third-party colleagues or allies that they're developing who are, you know, pursuing corporate interests or or otherwise private economic interests. Right. Which is, you know, and what we know, of course, from the history of 
the actual history of European imperialism and colonialism is that frequently you get a scenario in which there's no meaningful governmental authority in any of these places and that they are literally company towns or they become company frontiers. So it'll be interesting to see if that ends up being something that emerges more closely. We got hints of that right. in the third season with regard to the rivalry on the you know the Mars race between Helios, the Helios crew and the yeah. and the NASA and the Soyuz crews. But I it's going to be interesting to see how the the governance of the colony plays out according to these different incentives and scenarios. It will be interesting. So so one scenario is kind of the way that um European as you said, European mm-hmm. empires behave towards like India or China in particular, right. you know, um uh, would be would be classic examples. The the other one, the other possibility comes from uh science fiction focused on Mars, and maybe maybe mm. the most famous science fiction focused on Mars of the contemporary era that that, that tells a, a political... I'm putting a lot of caveats here, because no, I'm no. saying it's very famous, and I'm not sure how famous it actually is. But I'm thinking of uh, Kim Stan- Stanley Robinson's Mars Trilogy, which is which I, I'm, I think you I'm, might not you might not have read, but it's kind of well-known in science fiction uh-huh. studies. And the premise there is um, that over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years, and these, these books are absolutely massive uh, books, um, it, an Earth colony is established on Mars, and it it becomes sort of politically, ideologically, and socially, and to some to some extent, sort of species. There's mm-hmm. kind of a, spe- a bit of speciation goes on, yep. separate from Earth, and it's it's often seen as Kim Stanley Robinson's attempt to tell the story of how a true Marxist revolution would happen, uh-huh. and it would be extremely slow, and it's all kind of tied up with. The, the kind of terraforming of the geology mm. and the, and the, the the Martians eventually come to realize that whatever their origins were that they're building something entirely separate from Earth and a lot of the story actually takes place yeah. completely not only physically separated but but just totally mentally separated from anything that mm. may or may not be happening on Earth and they're mm. building a whole different way of of living and being yeah and I guess that's the that would be the maximalist type of story you would tell right. about creating a colony. Yeah. That, it, that it invents a whole new form of human society. Mm-hmm. The story that's very close to our history is that it, that it retells or, yeah. or redoes the history of, of European colonialism. Right. right. And in a lot of ways, that's consistent with the ethos of the show. Yeah. Right? A, a lot of familiarity, a lot of familiar elements, some things that are a little different, but it becomes impossible, as in the genre, I think, it becomes impossible to think outside of our actual experiences. Right. Right. There's, there's only so far you can push imagination before yes. it becomes unintelligible. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what else goes on? Um, the M7 nations uh, ha- uh, have formed some sort of political organization for Mars mm-hmm. exploitation, um, exploration. I- I think it's is it only Martian or is it, I think it's space. Oh, in general space, right? Okay, so I think um, it includes the moon. So, so you're getting close. Well, the asteroid belt. Yeah, right. Which we're we're told is going to be really important. Right, right. right. So transnational cooperation. Yeah. I mean, a, a common yeah. trope in in these type of stories is as humanity expands outward from Earth, governance on Earth becomes more unified. Right. And right. so maybe, maybe that's the precursor. Although not everybody, right? Canada. Canada, for example, of all of all places, China, China and Canada, yeah, the the new are not are not a part of this. Yeah, the new the, the allies of the future. Yeah, um, Margot is having a miserable time in in the Soviet Union. We sort of covered that, but yeah. she's she's told you know uh, Roscosmos Cosmos will mm-hmm. come to you in the future. You know, just be patient. Right. She's been promised. She's clearly been promised some kind of advisory role. Yeah. That she says, but it's um, she's kept at arm's length. Right. 
for certain. Yeah. So let's talk and let's talk briefly. I mean, I'm conscious we do need to move on, yep. uh, you know, relatively soon. Let's talk briefly about that episode as a sort of piece of drama. Yeah. Um, the, the main drama, I mean, there's all that scene setting, which we've just kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> redone, which I think is really interesting. And I do wonder if that is my main point of pleasure with the show is it's kind of yeah. scenario building and, and scene yeah. setting. As an act of drama, I mean, obviously you've got Margot's story, you've got Ed is older now, his yeah. hands are shaking, yeah. um, but he's accepted a... He's self-medicating a, with pot. Yes, he's self-medicating with pot, but he's accepted a number two position. He yeah. no longer has that kind of drive that I yeah. must be the commander. I mean, he's a, he's a more mature figure, and maybe we can, we can come back to that. The, the main kind of space drama is the um, terrible trouble they have kind of corralling this asteroid right. uh, to be captured and... Um, you know, the, uh, the um, uh, major character dies. Yes. Um, I mean, I, pre- I presume there's no spoilers, right? I mean, we've yeah, that's tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the, I, I won't say it. Rea- it's a reaction I, I said, video. I said a major character dies. Yeah. Um, I, I enjoyed the scene setting of the episode. Mm-hmm. It's always a great thrill to see what they're going to do in the new decade. Yeah. Um, that was undiminished. I did have the thought that um, I'd rather seen that jeopardy scenario before yeah in the show yep. it was not dissimilar from the season from, three yeah from from several things but yeah. particularly see, was it season three episode one with karen's hotel with hotel yep you know uh and i get it right you need to have an a, an element of space drama especially in the mm-hmm. in the in the first the first episode of the season yeah it does raise a perennial question with this show which is how long is it going to go do, do they do they come to the present day and call it mm-hmm. a day do they go beyond our history i mean both would be interesting yeah um, and the sort of endless dramatic potentiality in the alternate history side. Yeah. There may not be endless dramatic potentiality in the stories of space jeopardy or even the character. They, they have yet to, again, from a sort of a character building perspective, it seems to me that they have yet to figure out, they've yet to introduce a character who was not in season one who they've decided is compelling enough yeah. to hang a major storyline on. Right. Maybe we'll get that with um, with Kelly. Yeah. But it already seems like she's kind of been shunted off into the background, right, right? after having a kind of a more prominent role in season three. And so that, to me, is a question about how long they're going to be willing to go. Yeah. Right? They It doesn't seem like they've seeded new characters. They're happy to kill characters off. Right. And we've seen this. Right. But... They do not appear to be as competent or as interested in developing the kinds of new characters that it seems like you would need yeah. in order to continue pushing forward. Well, maybe so Ed is the one that they seem to be hanging on, so you're kind of beholden to his, Ed, his lifespan. Ed and, and, and Danny Poole. Yes. But I think it's pretty clear that this is going to be the last season for the both of them, right? There, there, it, there comes a point at which it's just becoming absurd. It's ludicrous. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. Yeah. I mean, and there would there, there would be nothing wrong in this being a story of um, Ed, the who you begin the show. He's mm-hmm. the archetypal square jawed American astronaut hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's rooted in the, the Korean War. <laughs> yeah, you know that's his kind of formative. Sort of that's why he speaks Korean. Mm-hmm. That's his formative experience, mm-hmm. and and the Cold War more generally. Yeah. And being a hero, and being a patriarch, and having a stay-at-home wife, and 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 yeah. and, he's very representative of that version of America. Mm-hmm. If the show ends with, with his end, th- th- that's interesting, right? Because then you've told the uh, a within right. a lifetime arc of a changed America. Yeah. 
where he's had to dismantle those elements of his identity and his understanding. Right. right. And we also see over that time span the, the, the way that the show wants to treat issues of race yeah. and, and to some extent gender because yeah. we, get, we get Danny Poole's arc as well, right. which also covers all four seasons and features a similar kind of uh, at, at least a cha- I, I would suggest that it's we don't get anywhere near the kind of character development with her. She's basically the same person now yeah. that she was when we first met her. Right. But what has changed are the social structures, right? Yeah. And the cultural and expectations about what's possible and what's available. I was going to say, the opportunities yeah. that, that affords her. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I think that might be enough for, for our reaction to yeah. uh, season four, episode one. Absolutely. Okay. So we will be right back. And we're back with our discussion of For All Mankind, and we've done season four, episode yep. one, our reaction to that. I think now we're going to talk more generally mm-hmm. about the the show, but basically it's first three seasons. Yeah. We have a three-part framework that we apply to, yes. to text, Jeff. Um, in the first part, we talk about the text. Um, well, the text as text. We the talk text about as the, text. the thing on its surface, mm-hmm. which often means things like its plot, it's plot. We're really interested in the intentions of the author or the creators. Yeah. What is it that that they really want the audience to understand right. and connect with? Yes, absolutely. And then in the second part, we talk about, and um, we call it like mythologies. Mm-hmm. I think we mean what are the sort of social meaning structures yep. that one needs um, to understand in order to yep. decode the text. Yes, and these are things that exist outside of the text itself. Right. Right. So deeper, longer more historical structures into which the text is embedded and which helps us to understand the the point of what the story is doing and what it wants to do. It helps us enrich our understandings. But these are elements that exist apart from the text themselves. Yep. And then in the third section, which we call critique, mm-hmm. um, we uh, kind of look for normative elements uh, mm-hmm. of the text. Does it critique um, contemporary life yeah. or does it offer a vision of a different life in the future? Yeah, and here we're especially interested in more learned or explicitly learned or intellectual perspectives on right. the text. Frequently, this leads us to think through the way that other critics or or other learned commentators may be observing and talking about the text. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So taking For All Mankind on the textual level, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the kind of form of the show is um, the alternate history. Yes. And this is an interesting form because it is often deployed, I would say most often deployed, in the service of what are essentially conservative stories. Mm-hmm. And wh- what I mean by that is not conservative, like necessarily, um, you know, liberal and conservative, yes. but conservative in terms of status quo. Yeah. Oriented stories, many of them, um, well, they, they cluster around s- specific historical events, right? Mm-hmm. Many of them are clustered around the American Civil War yep. or the Second World War, yep. you know, what if Hitler died or, mm-hmm. or the Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a, there's a, a huge clustering around those, those events. Yeah. They also tend to hinge on or the, what you call the point of divergence, the thing that changes in the history, tends to hinge on um, military battles. Right. Or the the actions or the like life assassin- or, the life or death of a, a particular man. figure, yes, yeah. <laughs> of a quote unquote yeah. great great man historical figure, um, and the the which are kind of conservative notions of how history yep. works. They're not mm-hmm. about social movements right. or you know change change amongst the ordin- the quote unquote ordinary people, yeah. um, and in many of the same cases or or sometimes in other cases the the 
what happens in the alternate history is either history resolves, there's a change, but it resolves back to our status quo yep. world, yep. which tends towards a theory of like a sort of predestination, like mm -hmm. the world we, which we actually live in is the one that we are bound to that's live right. in. So you can't really change anything. Right. Or the, the alternate history that's produced by the changed event is m markedly and obviously worse. Mm -hmm. It's like the Nazis have won. Right. Like Man in the High Castle, right? Yep. So, so be grateful for the world that you have. Right. Uh, presence, all of which has kind of small c conservative yep. um, elements or, or small c conservative effects, yep. I think is what I'm trying to say. For all mankind, I find interesting because it's it's an alternate history that's, that's building a better world. In some ways, for yeah. sure. And the most obvious way is environmentally. Yes. Right. And ecologically and in terms of energy efficiency. Right. right. So so amongst the many things, and some of them I think we, we just mentioned in the previous section, or, or mm -hmm. some of them we can just kind of go over relatively quickly, if you like, yeah. but amongst the, the, the many things that happen in the plot, or that we are textually told, you know, did not happen, but happened mm -hmm. in our world, the, the things that change, I don't know why I'm overcomplicating the yeah. way I'm expressing that, the things that change in, in the, this alternate history, um, there's no Vietnam War. Right. I'm sorry. There is a Vietnam War, but it's but it's ended early. Yes. Um, to refocus on the on the space race. Yep. Um, the Equal Rights Amendment passes. Yep. Um, the USSR uh, dodges a few bullets. Uh, doesn't invade Afghanistan or mm -hmm. um, I don't know if they they uh, no I think they avoid Afghanistan completely. Yeah. It's it's not that they sh they shorten that war. Right. Um, avoid avoid Afghanistan, which was a ruinous conflict for yep. the Soviet Union. Avoid the Chernobyl disaster mm -hmm. uh, due to advances in nuclear technology. Gorbachev stays in power. Much longer, longer, you know, so you, you don't get Putin, right. I think, is the... <laughs> you don't get Yeltsin. You don't get Yeltsin yeah. either. Um, most importantly, I think, is is what you just alluded mm -hmm. to, the question of climate change. Yes. And so the, the sequence of events, as I understand it, is um, there are great breakthroughs in fusion technology, um, you know, which, which take us... Which are derived from resource extraction on the moon. So helium-3, yes. which is a, a resource that is uh, particularly useful in the in the fusion mm -hmm. process um is pre is prevalent on the moon i think it is it is actually on the moon helium yeah. three i mean i think that's that's actually yeah. true but we just yeah. don't have the either the means to extract it you know at, at reasonable cost and yeah. we certainly don't yet have the mechanisms the to use it as yeah. as as fusion fuel the the import of this is that climate change plays essentially no role in the show, mm -hmm. right? Isn't it in like the late, we get a news clip of the late 80s? By season three, it's by some point in season three for sure, we know that the fossil fuel crisis has basically been avoided or solved. Right, right. And, the, and, the, and the news clip says something like, um, you know, we, you'd heard about this, the chlorofluorocarbon problem or, you'd, yeah, you know, we'd, we'd started yeah. to hear about, quote unquote, greenhouse gases. Yeah. Well, scientists now say that's not really a problem because we're not going to use fossil fuels yeah. anymore. And, and um, it, the solving of climate change is not what it would be in our world now, which would be regarded as a, a major kind of species right. breakthrough. Right. It's like the seventh item on the news. Oh, you remember right. that wacko theory that, that the world was getting warmer? Right. Well, that's no, no longer an it issue. It never arises to the level <laughs> of crisis, even. Right, which, which, is, which is super interesting. Yeah. And actually, I have, some, I have a great deal of respect for that textual strategy because mm -hmm. it's totally consistent to how right. that world would perceive you know the 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 what in their terms is the historic and in our terms too it will be the the historically limited 
reliance on fossil fuels, yeah. which is, isn't it great we have this new cheap energy and we can do this new stuff, mm -hmm. but there's not the great kind of celebration of, of the... the the avoidance of disaster. It, you, everything very much lurks in the background, right? right? And it's. I think you're right. The the benefits of all this are woven rather subtly into the story. Yes. So that it it never becomes, as you say, this kind of you know celebratory moment because there was never any crisis to begin with. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and the you know you, you you get some some kind of social ramifications. You know the fossil yeah. fuel workers are obviously yep. annoyed. Parallel paralleling things that that. Ha are yeah. happening and will happen in our And we um, see a continuation world. of that here in the first episode of season four, where we get the introduction of this character who was an oil rig worker, right. um, who is now going to go be a miner, who's been very clearly struggling for quite some time. And he's yes. now going to be a miner on Mars. Right. And yeah. it's, it, but it's, it, that, that also is a very interesting textual strategy because I think the analog here is um, workers, blue collar workers displaced by globalization yeah. in our world. Yeah. which is widely regarded as an, a problem that our societies just did not and have not successfully addressed mm -hmm. that have led to a variety of, um, you know, political yeah. ills such as uh, populism and, and and so forth. Whereas this show, especially in its in its new season, actually shows societies actively addressing the, dis the displaced workers, right? The, the, the space exploration or the technological advancement mm -hmm. Ha is providing new opportunities. There was a hint, though, of um, Arm Armageddon about the um, that not not in terms of end of the world, but you know the, the movie, movie Armageddon, yeah. which is let's send some miners to. Yeah. to I don't know if you've heard the the Ben Affleck DVD commentary of, no. of Armageddon. So, so Ben Affleck has this great DVD commentary on Armageddon or, or this clip where he says, <laughs> "And so I said to Michael, Michael Bay, the uh. director, Michael, why is it easier to train miners to be astronauts?" than to train astronauts to be miners. And he told me to shut the fuck up, and that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> Just this classic yeah. <laughs> exchange of, uh -huh. you know, why is it easier to train these miners mm -hmm. to, to go mine this presumably entirely new substance yeah. in, in radically different conditions yeah. halfway across the, yeah. <laughs> the galaxy <Yeah. laughs> than it would be to just get some astronauts right. and give them, you know... Well, you would imagine would be fairly automated equipment at, right. at, at this stage. Yeah, and the reason yeah. is because it's a better drama if you if you do it this Bruce way. Bruce Willis plays better as a as a miner than as an astronaut. <laughs> and as an astronaut, yeah. at some point we should do Arm a video on Arm again. I don't want to get us off off topic yeah. here, but it strikes me as a, a movie that uh, pr w would not be made with the same valences um, today. Um, in that it, its politics is sort of the celebration of the working man, which is which is mm -hmm. kind of great, but maybe not all that fashionable in in Hollywood. But some some of some of the character traits that are seen to be lovable in these men are things like there's the guy who uh, goes to bars and picks up underage girls, <laughs> and this is this is played as. What a rogue. Uh, what a lovable rogue. I feel like it doesn't have the same no. <laughs> sort of valence and connotations yeah. now. I mean, anyway, we're not talking about... Hard Armageddon. to believe that Michael Bay was behind the curve. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, other, other textual mm -hmm. elements that we want to talk about um, here or other, other elements of the show as, a, as an alternate history. I mean, I, I have here the early space race as a moment of lost utopian potential. Mm. And... Which I think is the role it occupies in our world, um, the, the the early space race. It's mm -hmm. kind of remembered as this time when anything was seen to be possible. Great international cooperation would be possible. Yeah. You're on the front of a new technological 
uh, frontier on the on the brink mm. of a new technological frontier. But that's a little even myopic, isn't it? Yeah, because it. It, well, well, it is knowing, it obs- knowing what happened. But it also obscures the fact that the space race was also a military. Yes. It was also a military right. program right. All, from the beginning. Right. And so it, we, I think that sometimes people get carried away with that kind of nostalgia for a yeah. lost moment when that was only part. The science of it was only part of what was going on. Yes. It was, it was the militarization of space, which actually has been exceedingly successful. Right. Um, and so to that extent, like it's it's not lost promise. It's it has been fulfilled entirely. Yes. Right? So the uh, yes. And of course, that's entirely correct. And yeah. all of the early rocketry design in both the United States and the Soviet yeah. Union were, were were military rockets in the in the U.S. case, rather famously, Werner von Braun's mm-hmm. uh, V2. Uh, and famously in the show. Yes. And, and famously yeah. in the show, although, of course, um, maybe what I mean to say then is the show is trying to take seriously the idea that there was a, a moment of utopian potential in the early space yeah. right that is, that is one of its alternate history yeah. elements it is imagine if people actually meant what they said mm. <laughs> about the purposes of of mm-hmm. kind of space space exploration yeah. and of course the show rather early on uh, disposes of Werner von Braun yes. who, who cannot be a vehicle for taking that utopian potential seriously because right. his own I mean, von, von Braun actually, in, in his expressed comments, he always said, I never liked the weapons element of it. He always expressed utopian kind of potentials. But his involvement mm-hmm. in um, the German weapons mm-hmm. program and its treatment of its uh, essentially slave labor, yeah. you know, renders him completely unsuitable as a, as a vehicle for yeah. taking that element of things, that progressive el- right. possibility of space. Seriously, he must be written out of the show. He must be written out and he must be replaced by his me- his mentee. Yeah. Margot Madison, who has zero interest whatsoever in the militarization or, or really even the politics of the thing. Right. Right. I mean, exactly. she's just entirely consumed with the science of all of this. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Do we want to say anything else on the textual level, do you think? I think we're ready to move on. Okay. All right. So uh, we will now move on, or we will move on in a second to our uh, second level of analysis, our second mm-hmm. segment, uh, which we call Mythologies. Yeah. And we're back with our um, second segment yeah. um, on mythologies, yeah. our second cut, I should say, yeah. of the show, where we try to talk about some of the social meaning structures mm-hmm. that are inscribed into the show, or, or I think more, maybe more to the point, that the audience needs to use or, or, or would use in understanding the meanings uh, right. that, that, are, that are happening. Right, and the interesting thing about this level, one of the interesting things about this level is that it may or may not involve intentional references on the parts of the writer or the creator to these structures of meaning. Um, but that either way, these structures of meaning exist apart from the text and provide us with, in a lot of ways, essential seedbed yeah. context to help us understand what we're seeing on the screen and right. how to make sense of it. Right. Absolutely. So I think what we want to spend the majority of our time in this section mm-hmm. talking about are the gender um, uh, roles and understandings that are kind of written into the show. I have this theory of the show that you disagree with. Mm. Um, And and I've read the show perhaps naively, I think you do think naively, as as portraying a more thoroughgoing um, version of the Mm -hmm. mid, well, not even mid-century, like 60s, 70s, 80s, kind of feminist revolution mm-hmm. in in Western societies, but in the United States most prominently, um, which is which is kind of told through 
a, a number of characters, but I'll just give you one example, like Karen mm-hmm. Baldwin, who begins the show as not only the stay-at-home wife of, you know, space hero, public man, Ed Baldwin, but but someone who's, uh, she's not even chafing against those no. those things. You know, Tracy Stevens is mm-hmm. is annoyed <laughs> uh-huh. at the restrictions that are being put on, put on her, and Molly Cobb is super annoyed right. and, and fighting against him. Karen Baldwin is saying things like, I, you know, I think actually women should be at home and yep. we should be supporting the astronauts. I don't dream, she says, rather... Mm-hmm rather famously, you know, and her transformation from um, a very happy stay-at-home housewife to small business owner to a corporate CEO titan seemed to me to, to, to be an accelerated version of the feminist revolution um, in, in the United States yeah. that, that goes further faster in this alternate reality mm-hmm. than it did in our in our world and and very literally both encompassing and very literally in in space as well because very early in the first season one of the things that happens is the soviets put a woman on the moon and the the americans feel obliged to respond with by the training female as, yeah, yeah so the whole program now in, yeah. now incorporates uh, a female heroes yeah. tracy stevens becomes a mm-hmm. becomes a, 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 a hero yeah why am i wrong you're not wrong that <laughs> I think those things are absolutely on the surface and intended, right? And that the the creators of the show are trying to give us exactly what you've said, a more accelerated and deeper vision of what could have happened, right? That would have created and opened up confining gender, created new, new opportunities for women in particular, but opened up a little bit those confining gender expectations and roles. I, you're, you're right. It's just that I think when we dig a little deeper into these sort of structures of meaning and right, our mythologies are our big cultural themes, it seems to me that what, we, what ends up happening inevitably to every one of the characters who ends up stepping outside of the conventional gender roles is that they end up getting treated brutally and punished pretty terribly throughout the show precisely as a result of having stepped out of their conventional gender roles. This is exactly what I was suggesting earlier, that sometimes this is a level at which we, it might be wrong to assign authorial intention, um, but rather it's, it's the level at which we can start to kind of tease out some things that maybe even the authors or creators are not particularly aware of what they're doing, right? We get a lot of tropes and expectations that just sort of get built into the ways in which people imagine what's possible to tell, what kind of story is possible to tell. Um, so this will make more sense if we go through the characters okay, let's themselves. But let's take, you started with Karen Baldwin. Okay. So let's start with Karen Baldwin because I think she's not only the character, she's not only the female character who arguably changes the most from the beginning of her arc until the end. She is also the character who, it seems to me, is just absolutely lacerated and treated horrendously um, by the by the writers of the show. I mean, her from the very moment that she stops being or at least stops presenting herself as the happy housewife, her life just is just a wreckage. Right. She just ends up destroying everything and everyone around her. And then eventually herself as well. So, for example, 
in the first season while she's the happy stay-at-home wife. Yeah, they've they've got a son who's you know a, you know a bit of a firecracker, right? He's a little difficult to deal with. He's strong-willed. Uh, he's got, but in his defense, he's got an absent, overbearing father, Ed Baldwin, who's never there, right? And whose vision of fatherhood appears to be just yelling at children uh, and telling them to do stuff and then disappearing, which is a you know a conventional old-timey vision, right, of, of fatherhood. But what happens when Karen Baldwin stops playing the, the conventional vision of the supportive and nurturing mother, right? Well, and think about it in the first season, right? In the first season, it's meaningful that the son disobeys his mother and goes out on his fateful bike ride where he gets hit by a car and then is eventually, he eventually dies. It's quite meaningful that he does that only after his mother has physically struck him and commanded him to stay in his place and then has left. So she has now become, she's playing the role of the abusive but physically and emotionally distant parent. She's usurped that conventional role of the father. And what happens, right? The son dies, right? Um, in the second season, right, when she becomes, she steps into the masculine coded world of business and commerce by, you know, they, they buy the bar and she ends up running the bar. Well, what does that lead to? That leads to her not being able to control her sexuality and having, a, you know, an affair with uh, Gordo and Tracy's eldest son, the Stevens son. What is the result of that? Well, we find out that that destroys her marriage. We find out that it ruins Danny Stevens's life, who becomes obsessed with her forever, which then leads him to both become a drug addict in season three and to eventually get literally exiled from humanity on Mars. So he's banished. So right? by, the, by the way, by far the worst storyline oh, in the, in the it's, show. Because it's, it's so what, what they had to do with Danny to, yeah. to keep paying it off. But just it's, became it's, ludicrous. It's, it's, horrend it's horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Right? So now he lives in but, the, the North. But Korean how does the show? Shit. I mean, I think the show wants us to think that this is Danny Stevens, like you know, having some agency and making bad choices. But the the entire setup is is that she, you know, Karen Baldwin is a play has played, you know, as the graduate would have it, the the famous Mrs. Robinson act, and she's destroyed. She has destroyed a, a young man who she seduced. Yeah. Right. Um, it also destroys the Stevens family as a whole because it causes these moments of estrangement between the two remaining sons. And we know what happens when the younger son gets estranged from his older brother. He joins up. He gets manipulated by a bunch of domestic terrorists who then blow up NASA or the Johnson Space Center. And so, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people. So he's he's a material component to mass murder, um, including the murder of Karen Baldwin herself. Mm -hmm. So. This is just a kind of an unrelenting punishment, it seems to me, that is being visited upon Karen Baldwin for the original sin, it would appear to be, of rejecting the very conventional role of what it means to be a, an American mother. And if it were only Karen Baldwin, if she were the only female character who was to whom this was happening, I could understand it, right? But... It's literally every female character except for Danielle Poole, right? Every other one. 
Margot Madison, Ellen Wilson, Tracy Stevens, every time that they step outside of the conventional prescribed gender roles, they end up visiting upon either themselves or others moments of calamitous ruin. And this is... I'm not suggesting that the authors here or the creators are intentionally aware of what they're doing. What I am suggesting is that they're working with a structure of meaning, a set of expectations about family and about gender that are so deeply entrenched in our imaginations that they don't even realize how the storytelling yeah. is so deeply embedded in and redolent of these things. Yeah, that's super interesting. So I, I think that... that that's a really interesting way to think about it, and I, I don't necessarily mm. disagree with with any part of it. Um, I, I think they are trying to do progressive things, what they think are progressive things. Yes, and I think Karen is is a really is is the right example to kind of focus on because I kind of read her. I, I agree, she got punished. She was being punished for you know how she behaved, unrelentingly and what, she, what she represented. Yeah, my sense was that. She was she was being juxtaposed to 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 two people. One was um, Dev. So so when she's punished finally by being killed, mm-hmm. this kind of follows her um, great sort of business triumph <laughs> of mm-hmm. of effectively maneuvering Dev out of his own uh, kind of company. And Dev, who but is Dev's a, a con man. Yeah, well, it depends how you read. I mean, it. Uh, th- this I is, think that, I think it's pretty clear that he's a he's a kind of a you know a cult leader. He he is a well. I mean, so another word charismatic. For that would be, yes, like I think he he believes himself to be, and I don't know where the show is going to fall down on on mm. on, on this distinction between con man and, and what I think he believes himself to be, which is a like utopian, right? He's he's someone who. Um, has solved climate change, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So obviously, like you say, it's like what what Noel Gallagher used to say. You know, people say I'm arrogant. You go right, live forever. You'll fucking walk down the street a bit different the next day. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> you know, there are some levels of achievement uh-huh. in which you are kind of allowed to regard yourself mm-hmm. as a, a relatively impressive individual. I would say solving the climate crisis <laughs> would be one of them. And he believes himself to be operating in a in a sort of post hierarchy, post capitalism kind of system sure. now i will grant you that he throws kind of temper tantrums and 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 this post hierarchy means i am at the top of the hierarchy and everyone else works in an open plan office i think what the show was trying to do was show um karen uh operating according to kind of wolf of wall street <laughs> capitalist principles well, and then she's punished she, because the, the show is going in a direction yeah. where those principles are, are, are not going to be the principles of the economic future maybe but is she wrong when she says to the employees that dev is trying to re-recruit into a new business right like is he going to pay you for yes. this like are you sure of that Right. Right. Did did you do you really feel like you had a say in this decision? Mm-hmm. Like, is she wrong about any of that? No, but I think Dev would say he's operating on a or, or, or his goals are just grander and beyond. Yeah. This, you know, he's he is selling be part of something revolutionary, of a, of a of a new mode but, of work and a new a, a new form of technology. And I agree, but it's not just that he's selling the end product; he's selling the means. Yep that this is going to be a true collective in which authority is fully dispersed right. and democratic. And right. that is a lie. Yes. We know that that's a lie. Right. And we don't need, we, as viewers, I don't think we need Karen pointing it out. 
so, so this, know is, this, this is very interesting in a sense we're almost getting into critique right because yeah. this comes down to whether you buy that there are utopian aspirations that the show has that have been sincerely paid off yeah you know because from an anti-utopian perspective any gesture in that direction different forms of work you know mm-hmm. post compensate post material compensation forms of life um trusting great leaps forward i realize i'm kind of yeah. <laughs> building a, fr- a, a, a petard to, to hoist myself by yeah. it is inherently disingenuous and and one should always be suspicious of it because it's always bullshit and mm-hmm. what it really is is you're being manipulated and, and kind of conned out of your your money or whatever mm-hmm. so, so never believe anyone who says anything that's outside of the standard structures of mm. work compensation progress okay that's the anti-utopian perspective the the pro-utopian perspective would be you will always have a time where where these different forms of work and life and economy will coexist with each other and the one that's ultimately going to break the the existing structures will always be attacked by the existing structures mm. and i i got the sense that the show was karen's progression from housewife to public figure was so complete that she became the living embodiment of <laughs> sort of Reaganite American mm-hmm. capitalism. Think for yourself. Okay. Ca- ca- cash out. Okay. Get get what's yours. And at that point, the show killed her. As the show always or, or often kills people who particularly vividly embody retrograde grade ideologies that are going out of fashion. Okay. C.F. Deke Slayton's homophobia. Yeah. Right, and, and he's instantly killed off for expressing yeah. that. Karen's kind of anti-utopianism yeah. capitalist. She's instantly killed. Yeah. I fully accept, though, <laughs> that, okay. that, that your reading is at least equally plausible. Yeah. Maybe this is one where we need to see where the show well, plays out. I, I think it, it is plausible. I mean, multiple yeah. things can be true. Right. Right. Multiple valences, as they say, can yeah. be at work here. But then let's consider some of the other female characters mm-hmm. who don't apparently or don't appear to express such retro or embrace such, you know, yeah. retrograde, non-cutting edge idea. Let's, take, let's talk about Margot Madison. Okay. Margot Madison, for the first time, two seasons of the show is really probably the, I think the protagonist in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and she represents a, a, you know, a new, all the new kinds of opportunities for women to actually based upon their merit. Now it's not entirely merit, but she has to do some kind of trickery, right. To get herself into a position of authority, some kind of backroom Machiavellian stuff to get herself into that position of authority. But it's, it's undoubtedly true that on merit, she is the proper person to be running Johnson Space Center, right? And so on one hand, at the surface level, her character and her character's development gesture to these kinds of increased opportunities, uh, consistent with a world in which feminism and the American feminist movement would have been more accelerated yeah. right, and deeper. Yeah. On the other hand, let's talk about and think about where Margot gets herself in trouble and why she is ultimately in exile now, hobbling around the streets, the barren streets of Moscow. That charming Sergei. So as you know, right, one of the major tropes of Cold War science fiction, speculative fiction, is about the ways in which external threats to a community take advantage, right, use as a leverage point, um, particularly weak-willed, and undisciplined characters from within the community as their kind of way in, right? And in Cold War speculative fiction, it is almost always coded as the sexually promiscuous or undisciplined, sexually undisciplined woman, mm-hmm. right? 
who ends up lacking the capacity and the rationality to understand that they're being manipulated and therefore invites in the exterminatory force from apart from outside. This is consistent, by the way, with how homosexuality was treated in national security circles and part of the national security state, right, during the 1950s and 1960s, in which gay men in particular were coded as, and the show does m work with this a little bit um, in earlier seasons, which gay men were treated as security risks, mm -hmm. right, precisely because they were allegedly incapable of disciplining their sexuality and so therefore would be very easy to take advantage of. Well, what happens to Margot and Sergei, right? What appears to be at first blush, and I know you know what you've written here on our sheet, as two people who are sort of working outside of the constraints of the state and of the kind of maybe the limited imagination, right, of state prerogatives, particularly national security prerogatives, what appears to be that, and they're sharing information with one another to help each other on the science, turns out to actually have been completely manipulative in a one-way relationship the entire time. Margot has been being manipulated mm -hmm. both by Sergei and by the Soviet state mm -hmm. the entire time. And yes, Sergei's going to get punished because he's going to develop feelings and so he's not going to, you know, he's not going to be quite the um, the the emotionless robot that the Soviet state is looking for in this relationship, but he will end up okay, right? He's going to end up being an American at least a resident, presumably a citizen. We haven't seen anything from him yet, but his life appears, at least in the montage at the end of season three, to be quite positive. What happens to Margot? Well, she's discovered as a as a treason. Basically, she's committed treason, right? She either fakes her death or we're, it's not clear sort of things develop that the... She's believed to be she's dead. She's believed to be dead, yeah. but actually what has happened is she's defected yeah. to Russia. And she's living what appears to be a deeply miserable life. So she has, again, been punished for not prescribing herself or maintaining herself within these conventional, buttoned-up, cloistered roles yeah. and expectations of female sexuality. Yeah. And um, that doesn't seem to have anything to do with a retrograde idea that's going out of style. Yeah, I agree. She doesn't. So she doesn't fit that pattern. I think again, the where we ultimately come down on this is going to, I think, depend on where the show is going. Mm -hmm. I mean, my thought with what was happening with that relationship was that they were, as you said, kind of exposing the the kind of stupidity or the futility mm -hmm. of um, state boundedness yep. in an era of extraterrestrial um, exploration. Mm -hmm. And that, that they were showing that these divisions amongst peoples were um, temporary and small-minded and they were going to be overcome. So, so, so they would work together to, to help each other's mm -hmm. space program mm -hmm. in ways that were ultimately progressive, not only for both, both states, but for the species as a whole. Yeah. And that over the course of time, I mean, you're now in the situation where there's been the, the switcheroo mm -hmm. <laughs> and Sir Guy's in the United States and, and she's in... Uh, the Soviet Union, mm -hmm. but you're also in a situation where these two states are increasingly close allies, so far as I can tell. So for how long is the notion that Margot was some kind of trader going to persist? You know, I, I think it, it might kind of disappear. I think she's going to bring her back somehow. Yeah, right? exactly. But... <sighs> yes. However, right, the trope that's being exposed and relied upon is the exact one I mean, almost beat for beat, that has informed national security considerations and understandings 
of who counts as a security risk and who doesn't right. for generations. Yes. Now. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting yeah. debate. I think it's one that, that we can't quite resolve. Just I mean, we, we might actually, elements of both of our positions might, mm. be, might be correct. Yep. Um, but I think we'll leave it there for mythologies. And when we come back, it will be time for section three, critique. Yes. All right, so we're back with our final section, the section we call Critique. This is the section in which we try and examine the text for its normative potentialities. Yeah. We often end up, especially in a science fiction text, talking about things like utopianism yeah. or anti-utopianism. We've actually done a lot of this already, Jeff, I think, yeah. in the in the previous segments, because this show is, is so bound up with the question of... And maybe, maybe I'll pose it to mm -hmm. you as, as, a, as a question that will cap off this element of our discussion. The, the the way where you come down on the show, or I think where I come down on the show, depends on the answer to the following question. Is the show um, telling a, a, a progressive story within an essentially conservative framework mm -hmm. of what progressivism is and can be and can achieve both now and in the future? Yeah. Um, or is it a show that is dealing in or even opening the door to fundamentally revolutionary what you might call utopian ideas it seems to me that the answer to that is it is dealing in technologically revolutionary things that do end up having a meaningfully revolutionary impact on certain issues such as environmental health and safety but that it's a show that is still relying upon the same basic social structures of meaning and and is still imagining that people are going to get along with one another in very similar ways. Mm -hmm. um, not entirely the same, right? I mean, it does. We're definitely getting a version of history that emphasizes things like international cooperation, right? And 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 is seeking to to make the boundaries of nationhood a little more porous. Right, than than it could be understood as being otherwise, but apart from that, and when you look at the the kind of the drama and the interpersonal relationships and the kind of the 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 structures that put meaning around those relationships, they're very similar to what we're accustomed to. Mm -hmm. So, in a way, yes, right. I, I guess I would I would split the difference here that there is. There's technologically revolutionary potential and promise in in this show, but and perhaps because of the requirement to stay intelligible and understandable to an audience, it's still relying upon a lot of the same cultural and social themes. Yeah, so it's super interesting. I think this might be a question that we um, will struggle to get to the bottom of um bef before the end of the show yeah because a lot of this does actually depend on how the thing pays off yeah you know wh where the show ends and what the state of society is it's possible actually the last <laughs> five minutes of the show you know something flashes up on the screen that says twenty thousand years in the future yeah. and it, it does actually occur to me and it, of course there's a link with ronald d moore who was in, who's involved in this show mm -hmm. and also wrote for star trek and um, it does actually occur to me that this this show would function as uh, filling in the early history of how the Federation gets formed right. in, in an alternate yeah. situation, right? As a lot of those same yeah. understandings of te technology and how it relates to society and what space exploration right. can do for people. So there's that. The other analog that occurred to me is um, th this is a very kind of West Wing view of the world. 
you know, West Wing is almost mm-hmm. an alternate history of the Clinton right. years or the Bush, the Bush years. Yeah. You know, in which everything is just a little bit better. All of the, all, certainly all of the the people who work in politics are just a little bit better mm-hmm. um, the, the, than they are in our world. And maybe this is, you know, And everything hinges upon this elite cadre of people, yes. which is, you're, you're right, that's a great analog yeah. for, for all mankind because that's exactly what's happening here as right. well. Right? right. And the few times that we get introduced to characters who are not a part of that elite cadre, the show starts to lose its footing. Yes. Right. Like think about the, the new, the new character, the minor, like, you know, I think they're going to try to make him a thing, but I mean, we're already pretty disinterested in that guy, right? Like you already know his storyline and he's, he's already portrayed in real. It's just an honest working man trying to keep his family together. Broad strokes that we've, that, you know, very, very trope heavy. Yeah. About a particular... I wonder if he'll be a fish out of water with, yeah. the, with the NASA astronauts yeah. when he gets up to, to mm-hmm. Mars. Yep. A lovable guy who it's just because he's down on his luck that his wife has had to divorce him. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, so so that, that may be where the show ends up being mm-hmm. categorized. I suppose the, there's a couple of things to say here. I mean, it, it would be true to the format of... The, oh, sorry. It would be untrue to the format of the show, which posits a, a historical turning point and then tells an incremental story. Mm-hmm. If all of a sudden everyone started behaving in totally different ways. Like, you know, the, the behavior of men and women in, in mid-century America was not going to change, did not change radically because of a successful moon landing. Yeah. You know, an unsuccessful moon landing would be unlikely to, to undo these embedded social structures. Right. And and a story of incremental change is going to be incremental. Yep. And so, yes, you would say this is not a show that's presenting utopian ideas. I suppose the question would be, um, is it drawing a line of progress where, where the divergence, you know, the, the line of divergence in, in the progressive direction is getting wider and wider with each iteration of time in the show and maybe the the line is curving upwards so the rate of change is also yeah. accelerating and and these things I societies think, do not change over the matter yeah. over the standpoint of a few decades right. the time period right. of a few decades i think it depends on the issue that you're talking about yeah so we've talked about pretty extensively environmental progress yeah i think that's definitely true that's the one I, unambiguously kind of yes. utopian or, or extremely i, I also think the kind of the anti-nationalism Right, the the focus upon global cooperation and yeah. the porousness of boundaries, yeah. uh, nation state boundaries, is also pitched at the level of progressive and emancipatory. Yeah, um, I think that we can see to the extent that there's this kind of a story about race in the figure of Danielle Poole. I think we can see that pitched as a sort of incrementally progressive and growing um, in in the kinds of opportunities that are available. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, not to go back and rehash what we talked about in the last section, but I, in terms of gender, there's de- I, to me, this is a deeply reactionary vision of gender norms and family structures. Um, so I think it's a little, you know, multiple things can yeah. be true. Yeah, absolutely. So it's very interesting. In, in utopian thought, there is this notion of the techno-utopia. Yeah. And the techno-utopia is, is said to be, I think Howard Siegel is the, the guy who's kind of, it's his idea. He's done the most work on it. Um, and it's said to be a, a genre of thought. And he argues it recurs. He's, he's not a speculative fiction guy. He argues it, it, it recurs throughout American history. Mm-hmm. It, but it's a genre of thought that's, that suggests, that is peculiar America, peculiarly American. Mm-hmm. And it suggests that 
one does not have to solve political and social problems because it can be his term is overleaped by technological advancements. Yeah. And actually, if you just wait or just get the technology right, uh -huh. a lot of the conditions that are causing whatever inequality you're concerned about yeah. will, will will be will be disappeared, magic mm -hmm. away. I guess it would be the right. cynical way to talk about it yeah. by some technological mm -hmm. advancements. Yeah. And this is often seen amongst utopian thought as the the kind of most conservative form of utopia. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's not mm -hmm. the one that posits a massive yeah. revolution in social affairs, or even posits social affairs as particularly interesting uh, causal mechanisms right. of change. Their right. their effects rather than causes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I don't think the show wants to do that. I don't think the writers want to do that. I think they're trying to. I think they're trying to make the case that these structures endure. Yeah, I, th I think there's some evidence of that, right? We get, and and I think that here they're they benefit from the genre of alternate history itself, which has to be recognizable enough for your audience to be able to connect with the story, right? right? Um, so instead of you know, you still have domestic terrorism that still exists, right? It's pitched differently, but it still exists. You still have like kind of you know class resentments. Right. Again, pitched differently, but it still exists. Um, you know, even in its story, even of, of sort of racial progress, you s that that remains something that is, um, you know, that exists. It's it's still there. None of none of those things. And the show, I think, wants us to understand that these things remain important. Right. To the way that communities can form and the way that they can govern themselves and interact with each other. Um, so. I would be a little generous, I guess, there and say that this is a show that is not trying to forward a case that leaps in technology obviate the importance okay. or the stickiness of social problems. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see where the, where the show goes. I mean, the, the last point I wanted to raise with you, maybe, maybe this is just wish casting, but it's mm -hmm. where, it's, I, where I hope, that maybe this is how we should end, where yeah. do we hope the show would go? Yeah. I think a really radical and interesting and actually true to a lot of what's been done so far end point for the show would be if it engaged with con with some contemporary debates about what developments in technology are likely to do to our politics mm -hmm. or perhaps should do to our politics and i've been very taken recently by some of the arguments that i had between um uh, actually largely climate change you know mm. cli climate uh, activists and thinkers who, who argue against many of the elements of, of modern economics, not just the reliance on fossil fuels, but obviously fossil fuels mm -hmm. as, a, as a primary thing, but also kind of individualism and consumerism and just the the, the, the rampant kind of consuming of stuff, yeah. which which takes us out of any role of custodians of the earth or, you know, uh, uh, people who are trying to um, look after the planet or yeah. think in planet terms and, and locates us firmly as like individual consumers who should just grab as much stuff as we can and screw everyone else and screw the planet. And that, that kind of politics argues for, definitely argues against kind of neo neoliberal capitalism, uh, but also argues against um, uh, many sort of uh, elements of a, a sort of hedonistic or consumerist politics yeah. that would be separate and, and argues in favor, maybe this is the, the simpler way to say it, argues in favor of kind of s more simple living bit more Walden, yeah. right? Bit, bit yeah. more, you know, degrowth. Like you, you can't sustain an ever-growing population at ever higher standards of living. And many of us should just accept, you know, 
um, not having a cell phone or, mm-hmm. or, you know, only having one car yeah. per family and, 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 and just live more within the, the means the planet affords. Okay, so, so there's that. And then there's on the other side, there's a set of thinkers who look at the, what current technologies and near future technologies are going to make possible mm-hmm. and include things like breakthroughs in fusion energy. Um, and, and like nano medicine and genetic editing and all. And yeah. so, so we're actually on the cusp yep. of, if not living in an age of absolutely unbelievable abundance yeah. that is going to be almost freely available to all and is just going to radically transform what we have thought are the standards of living and the, the quantities of living people mm-hmm. that the planet can support at, at the same time as making cl- climate repair not trivially easy, but but entirely possible and doable. And and these thinkers say it would be a profound mistake to not only throw out neoliberal capitalism, which yeah. which they would also say is a, you know, a, 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 a generator rapacious of avarice. Yeah. yeah. It, it, well, it has part of those yeah. elements, but it's all it's also kind of outlived it. So it has very nasty elements too, in that in the, if you take these technologies and keep a neoliberal capitalist uh, ideology, it is going to reinscribe permanent hierarchies right. and it's just going to lead to the super rich becoming the super, 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 mm-hmm. super, super, and which is actually happening, yes. <laughs> you know, but also you have to reject that kind of left asceticism because it's just unpopular. You're never going to be able to right. sell to people, live at a lower standard of living right. so that you can protect the planet. Like yeah. you're just humans aren't going to, and what you can actually afford is, I mean, the, one of the key thinkers calls this, uh, Aaron Bastani calls this a fully automated luxury communism <laughs> mm. that actually communism um, is a totally achievable ideology now because the material constraints that made it unachievable yeah. and led to it being a kind of repressive, murderous ideology are, are, are gone or are about to be gone. So, but the ideas are actually the the right ideas, and it will be a a unbelievably luxurious mm. state of living. Mm. Of I, I, you, you always say this, and I always forget the formulation. But you know, work for a couple hours in the morning, yeah. and then you know, fish and do art, yeah. and and this will be actually all the all that is needed yeah. from from us because the technologies will be so productive. Yeah. It would be super interesting if the show started to sketch out a society that was driven by high technology towards that newer form of politics. Right. Now, do, do I think the writers... Th- that is not the West Wing. <laughs> no. Like, you know, do, I, do I think the writers are going to go in that direction? Is it, is it sellable dramatically? I don't know. But that would be what I think. What yeah. I would think would be the most radical and interesting mm-hmm. endpoint of that show and, and would lead yeah. us to reimagine or re- rethink a lot of the points that we've talked about today. Yeah. I would like to see it go much smaller okay. than that. I would love to see a conclusion of this show in which Ed Baldwin voluntarily leaves service mm-hmm. and returns home mm-hmm. and actually lives as a contented person who assumes an important and present role in his family. Yeah, with Kelly and, and, and her, and, bit, her and, child. And the, grando- the yeah. granddaughter. Yes. Or the grandson, I guess it is. Yeah. The grandson. Because... I actually think that would be the truly revolutionary move okay. on the part of the writers for okay. all of the reasons that we've been I think they're going to do about. it, though. It was written all over that first episode. There's the, the Russian well, brand. That, the, that man is selfish and there's... Yes. Yeah. Well, if then I will think... I will... It will lead me to... Th- it will lead me to think a little bit more kindly upon or to look a little bit more kindly upon how I think the writers have thus far dealt with these issues. Okay. Yeah. Super interesting. I don't think my I'm going to get my ending. Mm. I would be willing to bet money that you're going to get yours. I think that's entirely where this season's going to go. I think Ed is Ed retires at the at the end of this season, 
And he's a happy granddad. I have a suspicion they're going to kill him off. Okay. As a dinosaur of an era that he can't really be a part of anymore. Yeah. That has left him behind. I think it's going to be a, you know, a die, die against the raging of the light. Or rage, rage against the yeah. dying. Yeah. Well, it's going to be heroic though. He's yeah. going to, he's going to save the, yep. the mad The colony base. will get saved again. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. I, I, okay. That's what I think will happen. All right, good. Yeah. So, uh, a really, really intellectually interesting show, mm-hmm. I think, that has kept us engaged. I mean, for you know, a while this morning, yeah. but but <laughs> has kept us engaged for many hours uh, over the past, over its past three seasons yeah. plus one. We're going to keep watching this season. Yep. Um, I really enjoyed talking about it yeah, today. Yeah, this was great.